Thank you for worshiping with us today. It is a great joy to have you as part of our online worship uh, audience, and we are delighted that you are sharing your time as we gather around God's Word to find strength and encouragement, as we find instruction for our lives, as we worship God together. Uh, Even though it is different than what we're used to, uh, the Bible says that the Lord inhabits the praise of His people. So if we join together around our computer and together our hearts are hot for God, I believe uh, we will sense God's presence and understand God's presence in a, in a wonderful, wonderful way. So it is no accident that you are a part of this service today. And we are delighted, uh, whether you are in our church congregation as one of us at Highland Park, maybe you belong to another church family, but you know Christ as your Savior, we're delighted to have you. Or maybe you just uh, uh, clicked on this website and uh, you're listening to this for the very first time in your life. Uh, Thank you for doing that. We want you to know that God loves you and God has a wonderful plan for your life and that... uh, God has uh, so loved the world that He gave His only Son to die on the cross for folk just like you and just like me. So uh, thank you for worshiping with us together. Uh, We don't know how much longer we will continue to have to worship this direction rather than being together as a congregation. We pray that it will not be much longer. According to some of the news reports, things seem to be getting uh, better. That's what we are certainly praying for that uh, fewer and fewer cases of COVID-19 would uh, be realized uh, and that fewer and fewer uh, deaths would transpire. And we're just praying for a healing and for a covering uh, on folk who are hurting today. And we trust before much longer we'll be able to be back together and fellowship together around God's Word here in our sanctuary and see each other face to face. Listen, I miss you so very much. Look forward to seeing you again very soon. So we pray that it won't be much longer, but uh, until that time comes, we'll continue to worship like we are today. So call some of your friends and family. Let them know to uh, visit our website, to be part of our worship time together. Uh, Share the videos with your friends and your family, and put the word out that uh, God is on His throne today, that Jesus is alive and that uh, He makes all the difference in the world if you know Him as your personal Savior. So um, as we turn uh, our hearts toward uh, God in prayer, just let me remind you, uh, if you uh, would like to give and continue your giving through Highland Park, we certainly encourage you to do that. You can just drop your check in the mail. Many of you have been doing that already. Thank you for that, for your faithful and continued support. Uh, Or you can uh, go to our website and click on the giving tab, and you're able to give that way. Uh, We thank you for that as well. So you do as God leads and as God directs, and we know God is faithful uh, to bless you. Also continue to pray for our building program. Every day makes new changes here at our campus. We're excited about that. And uh, before too much longer, sometime toward the end of summer or middle of summer, we will have a brand new family life center with a lot of uh, opportunities that it will afford us to continue to reach our community with the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. As we pray together, I want you to pray for those who are sick in our church family, those that you know uh, that are hurting. Uh, We ask that you would just lift them up in prayer, that God would surround them with his love, his grace, his protection, and his peace that passes all understanding. Also, we ask you pray for those who have recently lost loved ones and uh, those who have loved ones that may be experiencing the effects of COVID-19. We ask that you would certainly pray for them. Also, for our healthcare professionals as they continue uh, to work those those, uh, front lines there, uh, helping people as they are the hands and the feet of God. And I just ask that you join me as we pray for them and for all of our first responders and our law enforcement, uh, the leaders of our country, that God would just give them wisdom uh, to make right decisions. Continue to pray for our church family. I'm delighted to know that many of our Sunday school classes are still having remote classes. I know that our youth are doing devotions two two times every day on every day of the week. In fact, my wife and I uh, did devotions for them uh, one day earlier this week, and it's such a joy. We do that via uh, Zoom uh, on the computer, and it's such a joy uh, to be able to see the faces of our young people. We've also had a deacon's meeting via Zoom and those kind of things, but I'm delighted that you are reaching out and continuing to connect with one another, and I want to encourage you to do that. Let's join our hearts together in a word of prayer at this time. Father in heaven, thank you 
Thank you for such a wonderful day because this is the day that you have made and we're to rejoice and be glad in it. Everything that you make is good, including this day. God, this day is going to be filled with opportunities to bless others, opportunities to advance your kingdom's work. And I pray, God, that everyone under the sound of my voice would join hands together to make your name even more famous throughout this world, that those who do not know you as personal Savior, God, that their lives would be radically changed as they invite Jesus into their lives. Lord, we do pray for those who are sick, those who are dealing with uh, the issues of COVID-19 or other sicknesses. We ask as the great physician, Lord, that you would bring health and healing into their lives. We ask, God, that you would just build a hedge around those uh, in our church family and those around us, that you would keep us all safe, Lord, and keep us in your care. Bless the uh, hospital staff. Bless the healthcare professionals, our first responders, our law enforcement personnel, those, God, who are given of their energies and themselves, Lord, to protect the rest of us. We just ask, God, that you would, you would bless their efforts. Now, Lord, as we come around your word today, we know that it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. God, we know that your word is like Jeremiah said, it is a hammer that breaks a stony heart into pieces. And we ask today, Lord, that as your word falls upon our ears and upon our hearts and upon our minds, Lord, that we wouldn't simply be hearers of your word, but that we would be doers and that we would be challenged and encouraged by your word. So, God, we ask that you would bless this time together. Bless your people today in the wonderful, strong name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Amen and amen. If you uh, are there in front of your computer, you have access to your copy of God's Word, I'm going to invite you today to join me in the Old Testament book of Jeremiah chapter 29 this morning. Jeremiah chapter 29 and I want to speak to you for the next little while today about being upright in an uptight world. Being upright in an uptight world. Someone has uh, given us a list of how you might know or be able to tell that it's going to be a difficult day for you when you wake up in the morning and you hear some of these, some of these things taking place. You'll know it's going to be a difficult day. Number one, you wake up face down on the pavement you know it's going to be a difficult day. Number two, you call suicide prevention hotline and they put you on hold. You know it's going to be a difficult day. When you arrive at the office and you see a 60 minutes news crew waiting for you outside the door of your office, you know it's going to be a difficult day. You turn on the news and they are showing emergency routes out of your city. You know it's going to be a difficult day. You know it's going to be a tough day when your twin brother forgets that it's your birthday. You know it's going to be a difficult day when your car horn goes off accidentally and remains stuck as you follow a group of hell's angels down the highway. You know it's going to be tough. You know you got a tough day waiting ahead of you when the bird you hear singing outside your window is a buzzard. And you know it's going to be a difficult day when your wife says, good morning, Bill, but your name is George. You know that that day is going to be a tough day. All of us face difficult days from time to time, especially the days in which we find ourselves now. So I want to talk to you for the next little while this morning about how to stay upright in a world that is very uptight and a world that is really upside down. One of my favorite passages of Scripture comes from the 17th chapter of the book of Acts. When Paul and Silas come into the city of Thessalonica on one of their missionary journeys, the Bible says that as was their manner that Paul came and he preached about the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the glorious hope that Christ offers those who come to him by faith. And many believed, according to Acts 17, and then there were some that rejected Paul's words. There were some who became indignant over what Paul had to say, and they began to murmur among themselves, and then they say this in Acts chapter 17. They said, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here to our city also. Well, in some ways they had that wrong because the world was already upside down. What Paul and Silas were doing with the gospel is they were trying to put the world right side up again. 
Well, today I want to talk to you about that. I want to talk to you about living upright in an uptight and an upside-down world. And we're going to draw our text from the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, chapter 29. And we won't look at all of these verses I want to share with you, but I want to read these to give you the overall context for the passages that we'll focus on uh, uh, this morning. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 1 says this. Now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem unto the residue of the elders which were carried away captives, and to the priests and to the prophets and to all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. After that, Jeconiah the king and the queen and the eunuchs and the princes of Judah and Jerusalem and the carpenters and the smiths were departed from Jerusalem by the hand of Elash, the son of Shaphan, and um, Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all that are carried away captives, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and dwell in them, plant gardens and eat the fruit of them. Take wives and have sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons and give daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased there and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive, and pray to the Lord for it. For in the peace thereof shall you have peace. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Let not your prophets and your diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you, neither hearken to your dreams which you caused to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely unto you in my name. I have not sent them, said the Lord. Now listen carefully to these passages that we will focus on for the balance of our time. For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good work toward you in causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil, to give you an expected end. Verse 12, then shall you call upon me, and you shall go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all of your heart, and I will be found of you, says the Lord. I will turn away your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from the places where I have driven you, saith the Lord, and I will bring you again to the place where I caused you to be carried away captive. Now may God add his blessings to the reading of his wonderful, inspired, infallible word today as we look at staying upright in an uptight world. In 900, excuse me, in uh, 597 B.C., King Nebuchadnezzar and the rising world empire of Babylon entered the holy city of Jerusalem with great ferocious uh, effects. It was actually one of three campaigns as Babylon would move down across the little land bridge that we now call Israel and march right into the city of Jerusalem, and they would tear down the walls of that sacred city. The soldiers would go into the temple, and they would desecrate the things of God, and they kidnapped many of the young Hebrew men and women. Some of those men were men like Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. We know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were plucked up away from Jerusalem. They were carried off into Babylon, and they were going to be servants in the king's court. Uh, men also like Daniel, and Jeremiah, and Ezra, and Nehemiah. Many others would find themselves during this period of biblical history in a very godless society and a perverse culture. For these young men, in just a moment's time, their world was turned upside down. You take the three Hebrew children that I mentioned, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were practically just teenage boys. 
When this event happened in Daniel's life, Daniel was simply just a teenage young man himself. And here, in a sweep of a hand, in one passing moment, when life seemed to be going good one way, his life was turned upside down. They were forced to live in a strange land where they didn't speak the language. They were forced to live in a culture that did not worship the one true God, Jehovah. They were forced to live in a culture where the diet, the Hebrew diet, was not observed. It was a godless society where paganism ruled, where idolatry ruled. And here were these young Hebrew men who were living in an uptight, upside-down world, and what they wanted more than anything else was to remain upright. How do you live right? How do you keep your bearings? How do you keep your values, your morals? How do you continue to do that which is right and to stay focused on that which is right when you live in a world that is going the opposite direction? This was the dilemma faced by these young men and many others who were carried off into Babylonian captivity. Well, God would use Jeremiah to write this letter to the captives in Babylon and say, although your world is definitely uptight, although your world is upside down, though your world has been changed, though your, your world is not like you expected that life was going to be for you, God has not forsaken you. Though times are difficult, though times are tough, though times are uncertain, God has not forgotten you. He is still on the throne, and he still, listen, he still has a plan for your life. That's why when you read Jeremiah, on one hand, it's very discouraging because as Jeremiah preaches, he never has a single convert that listens to the judgment that he says is going to come. But on the other hand, it's very encouraging because when you read it all the way through, he is saying, God is right there, faithful. God is right there to provide. God is right there to walk with you every step of the way and help you to remain upright in an uptight world. Listen, ours is a world not unlike that of Babylon. It seems as though every day we are becoming more and more a secular society. My prayer is that uh, through this COVID-19 crisis that God would use it to open the doors for a great revival in our country. Uh, even a revival throughout other parts of the world that uh, maybe had been closed to Christianity or closed to the message of the gospel that now that the difficulty of COVID-19 and the backwash of all the problems, that this would give an, an opportunity for the Word of God to reach people and to reach places that perhaps have never been reached before. And that's my prayer, that lives would be changed because of this COVID-19. You see, we live in a world that is definitely uptight and upside down. And as we move through this passage today, I want to share with you what God has to say about how our lives can remain upright so we don't get blown off the course, so we don't lose heart, so we're not distracted and discouraged and living lives of fear and lives of uncertainty. Listen, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. We know that our hope, listen, is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That'll never change. Listen, the Bible says that... Uh, that not, that not one word of God would ever fail. That heaven and earth would pass away, but that His word would stand forever. We've read the book. We know how it ends. We know that Jesus has the victory. And we know that one of these days we will rule and reign with Him in glory. But until that time, we have to know how to stay upright in a world that's upside down and very uptight. So let me give you a few things that you can put down on the sticky side of your brain today. Number one, I want you to know that God has a plan for your life to help us remain upright, to help us to continue to move forward. It's interesting to know that God has a plan for your life. It's vital to know that, that God has a plan designed for you and you alone. He has a plan for your life. Listen to what he says in verse 10. For thus says the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, 
I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. Now, let me give you a brief history about what's happened here. The Hebrews were supposed to allow their land to rest every seventh year. That was called a, an agricultural Sabbath. They were allowed to plant and to harvest and to till the soil and to care for their crops six years. But on the seventh, they were to allow the land to lay dormant and give the land time to rejuvenate and to have the nutrients to be put back into the soil so they could plant, they could harvest, they could go about their normal agricultural routines for six years. But on that Sabbath year, the seventh year, they were to allow the land to rest. That was God's plan for them. Unfortunately, uh, they ignored that. They decided to do their own thing, and they decided, listen, we'll get ahead of the curve if we go ahead and plant and harvest the seventh year. We'll, uh, we'll pad our bottom line if we just go ahead and take advantage of this seventh year rather than allowing the land to rest and doing no good for anybody. So then, rather than allowing the land to rest, they just continued to harvest and to plant and to harvest and to plant year after year after year after year after year, totally ignoring what God's outline and God's instructions were. So eventually God said enough is enough. They owed the Lord 70 of those Sabbath years. They owed Him 70 of those Sabbath years. So God would use Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire to come down into Jerusalem to carry away the Jews into a season that we call the 70 years of Babylonian captivity. He would bring them to Babylon so the land could have its rest for the 70 years that they did not give God and follow His rules and His commands when He first gave them to them. So that's what we call this biblical season of Babylonian captivity. Right in the middle of this Babylonian captivity, God's going to say to them, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart because this is a season that will pass, and after the 70 years, I'm going to visit you and I'll bring you back to this good land because I have a plan for your life. Just as it was true for the Hebrews then, it is true for you and I today, God has a plan for each of our lives. Listen to what he says in verse 11. He says, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. If you have your Bible there where you can take notes and you can write in your Bible, I want you to circle that word thoughts or underline that word thoughts. It comes from a Hebrew word that means intentions. Intentions. Write that down in the margin of your Bible if you can. God says, I know the intentions that I have toward you. This is what God intends for your life. It is God's plan for your life. In fact, one translation renders it that way. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. If I were to ask you today, why do you exist? How would you answer that question? Why do you exist? Why are you here on planet earth? How would you answer that question? Well, most people cannot answer that question. Some or many may think, well, I'm here just by accident. I didn't have any choice in the matter. I just woke up one day and I was here. Well, the same with me. I just woke up one day. I was here. I didn't get a vote in it. I just, I just arrived, and I just discovered America about 55 years ago. But I know my ultimate reason for being here. How about you? Do you know your ultimate reason for why you exist, for your purpose in the world? Do you know why you were born? Some may ask, well, Pastor Darrell, does it really matter if I'm able to answer those questions or not, yes, absolutely. Because listen, life has a purpose. Your life has a purpose. Your life has a meaning. You exist for a particular reason. You exist for the purpose, listen, of bringing absolute pleasure and glory to God. 
The Bible says that we were created for his good pleasure. Now, an individual who says, who says oh, I don't believe in this God stuff. You're just, you're just born, you live your life, you die, and then you put you in the grave, and you just rot away, and that was the end of it. And that's, that's all there ever is. I feel sorry for someone like that. You know, the Bible says that the fool has said in his heart that there is no God. Absolutely, there is a God. A God who's put, who spoke this world into existence and put all of this into motion chose to create you to know Him so that He could know you. You were designed by God for a specific reason. Rick Warren, Pastor Rick Warren, a number of years ago, uh, authored a, a book called The Purpose Driven Church. Bestseller, widely popular book. And then a few years after that, he authored another book called The Purpose Driven Life. I'm sure you're familiar uh, with that. It's a good read. But I want to uh, give you a paragraph uh, that he says in chapter number two entitled, You're Not an Accident. So let me, let me share this with you. Listen carefully. If you're listening, say amen. All right. This is what he writes. Quote, You are not an accident. Your birth was no mistake, mishap, and your life is no fluke of nature. Your parents may not have planned you, but God did. He was not all surprised by your birth. In fact, he expected it. Long before you were conceived by your parents, you were conceived in the mind of God. He thought of you first. It's not fate, nor chance, nor luck that you are breathing at this very moment. You are alive because God wanted to create you. God prescribed every single detail of your body. He deliberately chose your race, the color of your skin, your hair, and every other feature. He custom made your body just the way He wanted it. He also determined the natural talents you would possess and the uniqueness of your personality. Because God made you for a reason, He also decided when you would be born and how long you would live. He planned the days of your life in advance, choosing the exact time of your birth and the time of your death. Most amazing, God decided how you would be born. Regardless of the circumstances of your birth or who your parents are, God had a plan in creating you. It doesn't matter whether your parents were good, bad, or indifferent. God knew those two individuals possessed exactly the right genetic makeup to create the custom you he had in mind. Many children are unplanned by their parents, but they are not unplanned by God. God never does anything accidentally. He never makes mistakes. He has a reason for everything he creates. Every plant and every animal was planned by God, and every person was designed with a purpose in mind. End of quote. Isn't that a great paragraph? Every single person is designed with a purpose in mind. God says, I know the intentions that I have for you. I know the plans that I have for you. God does not want you, listen carefully, you as an individual to be lost in the sea of everybody else. Do you know there are some 8 billion people on this planet and not one of them shares your fingerprints? Out of the 8 billion people on this planet, not a single one of them shares your exact DNA. You are, you are a unique individual that God has created just the way you are. God created you for His good pleasure with a plan for your life. Listen to what the psalmist says about that. In Psalm 139, verse 13, the Bible says this, For you have possessed my reins, and you have covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works that my soul knows right well. My substance was not hid from you when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in my book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. 
How precious also are thy thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more than number the, the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. What a great passage to let us know that God has created each and every one of us, and designed a plan for our lives. Recognizing that helps us stay upright in a world that's lost its way. Recognizing there is accountability when you die over how you live your life when you live keeps us upright in a world that has fallen by the wayside. Recognizing that one of these days we will stand before the God who created this universe Give an account for the very lives that we live helps to keep us motivated to stay upright in an uptight, upside-down world. God has made a plan for you, a design for your life. He says, I know the intentions, my intentions for you, my plans, my thoughts. So, first of all, I want you to know God has a plan for your life. Secondly, it is important to be intentional to understand God's plan for your life. Let me say that again. You must be intentional to discover God's plan for you. I can't tell you God's overall plan for every individual's life. I believe I understand His plan for my life. I try to follow that, and I will try to help anyone who comes to me and and, and wants to work through that. I'll try my best to help you with that. But you must be intentional to understand His plan for you. You see, listen, it is one thing to believe that God has a plan for your life. It's another thing altogether to know and understand what that plan is. You may say, Pastor Darrell, how do I do that? Or how can I do that? How do I make that real in my life? Let me give you a couple of practical steps. Number one, know and understand that God's plans for you are always good plans. Let me say that again. God's plan for you. Whatever plans he has for you, the design of your life, if it comes from God, God's plans are always good plans. Let me even qualify that more. God's plan for you is a perfect plan. You cannot improve upon it. I cannot improve upon it. God's plan for your life is a perfect plan. So understand his plans are always good. In fact, listen to what he says again in verse 11. For I know the thoughts, that's intentions, remember? That I think towards you, says the Lord. Now listen to this. Thoughts of peace, not evil. That means, listen, God is not working against you. God is working for you. God is not working to thwart or to frustrate your life. He's working to fulfill His will in your life. And the only way you can stay upright in a world that's going wrong and living wrong is to be intentional about understanding what His will and His plans and His desire for your life really is and why He created you and to know and understand that. Listen to how the Holman Bible translates that passage. For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your welfare, not for disaster. Don't you like that? He goes on to say, to give you a future and a hope. God's plans are always good plans. Secondly, understand that his plans are always godly. His plans are always godly. Now, I have had folk to tell me over the course of my ministerial career about a a sinful situation that they were involved in and have the audacity to say to me, but pastor, I know it's okay because I prayed about it and God said it's okay. Listen. God's will for your life will never, ever, 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 ever contradict His Word. Now that is a great place for an amen. His will for your life will never contradict His Word. His will for your life, His plans, are not only good plans designed by Him, but they are godly plans. And we can't live in a world that has fallen by the wayside and join that as if we have no conviction in our life and believe that God is somehow going to put His stamp of approval upon that. No, if we want to understand God's plan and God's will for our lives, 
we have to turn to His Word, and we know that His Word is truth. And whatever His Word says, that's what we follow. Because His Word and His will are always, listen, always together. Amen? Always together. And if you want to know God's will, you have to be intentional about understanding what His will is, what His plans are. You get that from His Word. God will never tell you to do something that is contrary to His Word. Look in verse number 12. He says, Then, then shall you call on me, and you shall go and pray to me, and I will hear you. Now listen. God's plans for us become more clear as we seek God as our first priority. God's plan for us becomes more clear as we seek Him as our first priority. Because notice what He says. If you continue to read in verse number 13, He says, And you shall seek Me and find Me. Now this is conditional. What's it conditional upon? Keep reading. When, I have circled in my Bible, I have circled the word when. You shall seek me and find me. When? When you shall search for me with all of your heart. You will find me, God says, when you search for me with all of your heart. Remember what Jesus said? He said, the first and great commandment is, Love the Lord thy God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with everything that you have. Seek God and search for Him with all of your heart. But oftentimes what happens, we live in a world that is so uptight, we feel as though in order to climb the corporate ladder, we have to be so dedicated to our work, we have no time for for anything else. No time for family, no time for church, no time for God. In fact, many would say, I'm so busy at my work that church just gets in the way. I'm so busy uh, climbing the corporate ladder and trying to advance my career, I don't have time to volunteer at the church, to give energy or time or effort to the church. Let somebody else do that. And when we say that, and when we're doing that, what we're doing is making an idol or a God out of our own pursuits, and we miss God's plan for us. Do you know that nearly 50% of all workers in the United States feel overwhelmed by their current job? 88% of employees say they have a difficult time juggling work responsibilities and home and life responsibilities. Only 48% of workers say that they're somewhat satisfied with their job. We can't live life just to work a job and then die or to work a job and go home exhausted, get up in the morning and do it again the next day. No, we work that job by honoring God and recognizing if this is where God has planted me, then I'm going to bloom in that place and I'm going to use my influence or my, my, uh, my resources or my abilities to advance God's kingdom in whatever way that I might be able to in somebody else's life through the position that God has given me. In 1923, a group of the United States' wealthiest men gathered in Chicago. These men controlled more money altogether. They controlled more money than the treasury of the United States. Now, this is, again, this was in 1923. 27 years later, listen to how just seven of these men's lives turned out. Jesse Livermore, a Wall Street baron, committed suicide. Leon Frazier, the president of a huge banking company, committed suicide. Ivan Kruger, a businessman, committed suicide. Charles Schwab, president of the largest steel company, the last 10 years of his life lived broke and bankrupt. Arthur Cutton, a great wheat speculator, died penniless. Richard Whitney, president of the New York Stock Exchange, convicted of a crime, went to Sing Sing Prison. 
Albert Fall, a member of the president's cabinet, was pardoned from prison so he could go home and die broke. All of these men apparently knew how to make money, but it could not ultimately buy them success because it did not teach them how to live an abundant successful, blessed life. It is only when we know and understand God's plan for our lives to know that He has a plan for us and that we join Him in working through that plan and knowing what that plan is, appropriating that into our lives and living our lives according to His will, then life becomes so full, doesn't it? It becomes so meaningful, becomes so, so filled with purpose because we're living for something and someone greater than our own pursuits. So how do you stay upright in an upside-down, uptight world? Know that God has a plan for you. And then be intentional about understanding what that plan is. And then thirdly, in obedience, follow that plan. Do you notice the progression? First of all, you realize He has a plan. Secondly, you understand what that plan is. And then thirdly, we respond in obedience to follow that plan. Oh, it's one thing to say, I believe I've, God's got a plan. It's another thing to say, I understand what that plan is. And then it's even another thing to say, now I'm going to devote my life to, in, in obedience to God to live out His plan for my life. Now listen, you may be under the sound of my voice, and I don't know who may listen to this uh, sermon uh, on down the road years and years from now as it is online um, on YouTube. I don't know who will be listening to this sermon but you may be thinking as you hear my words today, Pastor Darrell, I have made so many mistakes in my life that I have missed God's plan. I have made so many bad choices. I've made so many bad decisions. Pastor Darrell, I've walked where I should have never gone, and I have missed God's plan for my life. What am I supposed to do now? What do I do now? Listen, the beauty of God's plan is that God takes you from where you are right now to where He wants you to be. Let me say that again. The beauty of God's plan is if we live in obedience to Him, that He takes us from where we are right now to where God desires for us to be. It's an old saying that says it's not wrong to be where you are. It's just wrong to stay there. I'm sorry for past mistakes that you might have made. I'm sorry for past decisions that maybe were not the best decisions in life that, that you made. But I want you to know, listen, that you can never change the past Yesterday is gone forever, and sometimes I recognize we are forced to live with the consequences from yesterday. I always say, eventually you have to live in the house she built. That's true for everybody. As we're building our lives, we're building our home, and eventually we have to live in the house that we've built, good or bad, with the choices and the decisions that we've made. And I recognize that there are consequences for wrong choices. But I am so grateful to be able to say today that God in His wonderful love, and marvelous, amazing grace takes us from where He finds us to where He wants us to be if we live in obedience to Him. So the issue is not, does God have a plan for my life? The issue is, am I in obedience going to follow God's plan for my life? Again, listen to verse 13. He says, and you shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all of your heart. Listen to verse 14. And, and I love this. And he says, I will be found of you, says the Lord. It doesn't mean that God is engaged in hide and seek and that somehow he's hiding from us all of the blessings and the benefits. No. God is simply saying that my love and my grace for you is so real that if you will follow me in obedience, that I will give you the desires of your heart. In fact, that's what he says in the book of Psalms. He says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be added to you. How in the world do you stay upright in a world that's uptight? How in the world do you stay upright and stay focused on a world that's upside down and a world that's gone the wrong way? You know that God has a plan for you. 
You work to realize that plan, what it is. And then in obedience to God, you follow his will for your life because he'll never, ever, ever lead you wrong. Years ago, in fact, I believe it was back in the 1950s, in Bangkok, Thailand, the government decided to build a large highway through a particular village. And in the path of the planned road was a a Buddhist monastery, a little chapel uh, that was there. So they had to relocate this monastery. Um, and uh, in this monastery, there was a, a large statue of, uh, of Buddha, a large clay statue of Buddha. My recollection is correct, weighing somewhere around about uh, five tons, I believe. So using a crane, the government workers moved this monastery a section at a time to its new location to make room for the highway. And when the workers transported the statue of Buddha to its new location, as they began to lower it down onto its pedestal, the clay on the statue began to crack and crumble and fall off. The people couldn't believe it because this was a revered religious symbol in their culture, and they didn't want it to be destroyed. But yet, it seemed as though the harder the workers worked to try to preserve it, the more the clay cracked and the more it continued to fall off until more and more uh, kept falling off until the workers made a remarkable discovery. As most of the clay fell away, what they realized was that underneath this clay of this Buddha statue, it was solid gold. Listen, this is a true story. And it had been covered over with clay some 200 years earlier to hide its value. They thought this clay statue was worth somewhere in the neighborhood of about $50,000. But once the clay began to fall off and they realized it was a solid gold Statue, it was worth some $250 million. Do you know within each of us, there's a priceless treasure. It is our soul. The Bible says, what would a man give in exchange for his soul? What if a man could gain the whole world and loses his own soul? The most valuable thing you possess and I possess is our soul because our soul will live forever either with God or eternally separated from God based upon the decision that we make with the Lord Jesus Christ. But if we fail to understand that God's plan for us is to know Him and to love Him and to walk with Him and to follow Him in obedience, then we'll live our lives with this golden treasure lived out in meaningless, empty clay pots. God doesn't want that to be your lot in life. He has designed you to fulfill His will, His plan. He has made you to bring Him glory and to honor Him with your life. Listen again to what He says in verse 14. He says, I will be found of you, says the Lord. I will turn away your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations. Now, of course, we know that he's talking to, to Israel there in the book of, Jer of Jeremiah, to the captives of Babylon, but we bring that into contemporary application. And for those of you who might have wandered away from God, he is saying, I want you to get back on the right path and in obedience, I want you to follow my plan for your life. Obedience to God's plan is essential. It's essential for the abundant life. Listen, if you, are, if you are not married, God has a plan for that. Maybe His plan is for you to remain signal, or maybe God's plan is for you to, to, to at some point to marry someone, and if that's His plan, He already has that person picked out, and you just have to trust God and wait for His timing. If you're thinking about going to college, as a young person, and you're searching for a particular career path, listen, you discuss that with the Lord. Get all the counsel you can from Him and from your family and from others that you can have an informed decision so you'll know what to do with your life and what God desires for your life. If you're thinking about changing careers, no. God still has a plan for your life, for where you work 
and how you can bring him glory through your life. I believe he has a plan for every aspect of our lives. What if God were to call you today to go plant a church somewhere? You say, well, Pastor Darrell, I'm not a preacher. Listen, you don't have to be a preacher to go plant a church. We just have to walk in obedience and follow his plan that God might be leading you to sell your business or he might be leading you to change career paths and to go to a people group, either a, a people group here in the United States or maybe even one overseas that needs the gospel and you're going to dedicate your life to sharing the gospel. I don't know what God's plans are for you, but I do know this. I know that his plans are good. I know that his plans are godly. And I know that your life will be frustrated if you don't understand that he has a destiny for you. And it begins, it begins for all of us, staying upright in an uptight, upside-down world. It begins by acknowledging that God so loved you that he gave his only son to die on the cross for you. You see, accepting God's plan for your life, it always starts, it always starts by asking Christ to come into your life. How do you do that? Well, first of all, we acknowledge, we acknowledge to God that, yes, Lord, I'm a sinner. We're not giving God information. He already knows that. We're simply agreeing with God that what he says is right, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Secondly, we believe, we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he came into this world, that he suffered and that he bled and he died upon a cross of Calvary, that he rose victoriously on Easter Sunday to conquer death, hell, and the grave, to guarantee eternal life to those who come to him by faith. We believe that Jesus is God's only Son and God's only way that he has provided for anyone to go to heaven. And then we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. In fact, the Bible says if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, the Bible says thou shalt be saved. So we open our heart to Christ. We confess our sins. We believe what God has done for us upon the cross of Calvary through his son Jesus Christ as payment for the sin debt that we could never pay. And then that sets us out on the course of living upright in an uptight, upside-down world. That's if you're not a Christian. If you're already saved, if you're a Christian, listen, do as I said to you this morning. Understand God has a plan for you. Know that and understand that he has a plan for you, that his plan is good, that his plan is godly, and work to understand what that is. And then with all of the obedience that's within you, follow God's will for your life. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word. And how it remains forever settled in heaven. Thank you, Lord, that we can stake our lives on what you say in your work. Bless those under the sound of the teaching of your word today. May, Lord, you help us remain upright in an uptight, upside-down world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.